0: Hi, everyone. Quick content warning for this episode. We will be discussing torture and sexual assault. So if that's something you're sensitive to, maybe build yourself up for it or possibly skip this one. Thanks so much.
1: and welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name is Grace, and thanks for tuning in. With us this week, we have Jarrah.
2: Just over here, dwelling.
1: Are you in a crucible,
2: Jarrah? Yeah, I uh maybe in a little bit of a crucible. Oh, jeez. How'd you get there? I took a uh, right at Vulcan.
1: <laughs> oh, Lord, that was the problem. You made a wrong turn at Albuquerque. so we've got a small crew with us this week now before we get to our main topic we have a little bit of housekeeping to do first our show is entirely supported by patrons on patreon if you'd like to become a patron you can do so for as little as a dollar a month that's all it takes just just pennies pennies a month and you get the most amazing rewards you get thanks on social media you get our eternal love and friendship you get These amazing watch-along commentaries that we record all by ourselves with our mouths and all these opportunities and more await you. You specifically. All you have to do is visit www.patreon.com forward slash women at warp. That's all. That's all you got to do. That's what gets you started on your journey. You can also support us by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Just Wherever you find podcasts, say that this is a good podcast. (laughs) That's all all we need from you. Tell them
2: it is a good podcast and a pretty podcast.
1: And the one that we are on, so you know it's good.
2: (laughs) Amazing.
1: Is there anything else we want to cover before we dive into the dwelling in the Crucible?
2: No, I I don't think so. This is our, we're doing a book club episode today, Dwellers in the Crucible by Margaret Wander Bonanno. And just a thanks to the folks who suggested this, uh, Ruth, Mike, Bill, and Erin. And uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk about it. It's gonna be great. We're gonna talk about a book
1: we've read. It's like you're just hanging out with us talking about pretty, we just talk about books we've read most of the time if we're ever together in meet space, don't we?
2: Definitely. Yeah. And uh, if you want to join the discussion on this book or future reads, you can go to Goodreads and enter Women at Warp in the search bar and then uh, filter by groups and you'll find our book club.
1: Find our book club and our many, many, many opinions.
2: Yes. And we definitely have some opinions on this book.
1: Oh, do we ever. Let's talk about the plot of the book to start with. The plot is about two women original characters, a human and a Vulcan, who are captured by a Romulan task force, led by one of our personal favorites, the female Romulan commander, who they still haven't gotten around to naming, I guess. And a deep bond develops between these two OCs in the course of their ordeal. And oh my gosh, is it ever so gay?
2: (laughs) Ever so gay? That's actually the description given to us by Erin, who's in our group. And she, she, although she did end it with, it is hella femme slashy. Ever so queer. (laughs) Yes. And wow. Okay. So it is, so the women original characters, there's the human cliente. Cliente. Cliente Al-Faisal. And the Vulcan Tashale. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, they're, they're kidnapped.
1: They're kidnapped and held captive with a group of other people. Um, do we need to go? Do we want to go into the concept of why they're kidnapped in the first place? Or
2: I think that's pretty important.
1: Okay, so the concept is that these figures are all kidnapped together because they all serve the purpose of warranters of Peace. The warranters of Peace are all these figures who are in some way related or connected to an important political figure on Vulcan. And the idea is that they all have a special capsule embedded in their heart. So that if Vulcan declares nuclear war or tries to violate an aggression pact, they one of them has to be killed in order to break that. Or all of them have to be killed in order for the nukes to be launched.
2: But there's like one for every member of the Federation. So yes. there's like Cleanti is the daughter of the Federation, like the president of Earth, whose name is Jasmine al who I would like to talk about later.
1: Oh, there's a lot to be said.
2: <laughs> yeah. And then there's like an Andorian and there's for some reason, several Deltans. I'm not sure why the Deltans... I was, is it because, like, they need each other for connection that they had so many of them?
1: I mean, possibly. It's it's not very clear. Yeah. Or maybe there's just a really high Deltan population because they go at it like rabbits.
2: Yeah, that that could be. But there's... So they're kidnapped with an Andorian and three Deltans. Um, but there's more people in the compound with them on Vulcan. And According to Wikipedia, the concept of warranters of the Peace appears to be an implementation of a proposal in 1981 by a guy named Roger Fisher, who proposed that the officer who accompanies the President of the United States with the nuclear launch codes have those codes implanted in his heart to be cut out by the President's hand in the event of war. So basically, the idea is that if the president wanted to fire nuclear weapons, he would have to kill a human being with his own hands, and that therefore it probably would not happen. And so that seems to be the idea in this that sort of prompted this book, maybe also combined with just, you know, how people say, well, you know, if you had to send your own kids to war, you would never send people to war. Like, you wouldn't send, you know, you send our sons to war, but your own sons are like safe at home, kind of. Um, sort of rebuke to politicians, particularly like during like the Vietnam era. What did you think about this, Grace?
1: I thought it was a really interesting concept. And I really do like a good high concept sci-fi story concept, which is just at the risk of sounding repetitive, so conceptual. (laughs) And it's a simple idea, but I liked seeing what they were going to do with it as a story. And honestly, I would have liked to see it in a broader scope beyond with just these two characters. But that said, I didn't dislike it. I thought it was a cool idea in terms of, it does really sound like someone's weird preventative measure that would be put into place by some really obscure government law or something. It's so very Old testamenty.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I didn't believe, like, I didn't buy it as a Federation <laughs> thing. <laughs> didn't buy it. And our group members on Goodreads were, were similarly to us, like, a little bit split on the idea, about whether they could buy this as something that the Federation would do. Um, Mark said that he noted he hasn't read the book, but the idea sounds more like a Terran Empire than a Federation idea. Oh, totally. And uh, this book was written in 1985, so it's exactly as old as me. Um, but um he points out that like the search for Spock had already happened, the Omega Glory had already happened, and that really points to the idea that the Federation has a representative democracy, which seems very inconsistent with the idea of having political prisoners where which are essentially innocent people that could actually be killed in the event of a decision that they had no part in.
1: In looking it up, I just want to point out that Escape from New York came out four years earlier. Whoa! there's a capsule embedded in you. And if you don't save the president within 24 hours,
2: it'll explode. Okay, well, maybe the author was also taking some of that into consideration. And we will know, hopefully, by the time this episode comes out, because Margaret Wander Bonanno has very graciously agreed to do some interview questions with us, which we will be posting in a supplementary blog post on our website including more about her inspiration for this idea.
1: I'm mostly kidding, Margaret. Don't worry. This plot is like reverse escape from New York. (laughs) If anything.
2: Zoe in our group said something, though, that I did really like, Mm. where she said, I was initially a bit surprised that the Federation as a whole would use something like their warranters. However, I was not surprised that the Vulcans would have come up with a system like this. It is weirdly violent for a supposedly peaceable people in many of the same ways that Ponfar is. So, yeah, I mean, that was actually a super good point that, you know, this might seem like something that for me felt a little bit inconsistent with Federation ideals, but totally makes sense that the Vulcans would do something weird like that. And maybe that's just how it became part of the system.
1: It was one of those, oh, well, it's a system we've got and we don't really use it very often, but it's there and no one wants to rewrite the paperwork, etc., cetera, etc., cetera.
2: Yeah, and we all know that the Vulcans always win in a staring contest.
1: Oh, totally. That's like their thing.
2: They just stared down their noses at everyone until they were like, okay, fine, we'll have these warrants of peace, I guess.
1: The fact that we're talking about, like, in their culture, something that's very much like, oh, no, we're all peaceful and calm and what have you. But we do have these secretly really, really sexual and violent ritualistic pasts. This would be a thing that it feels like would be part of that.
2: Well... I mean, that, that's a good segue, because we have to talk about violence, and also sex at some point. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yay. Let's maybe start out by talking about the relationship between Cleante and Tashel. Let's do it. Which is a really big reason that this book was recommended to us, because it's got these like, really, really strong focus on these characters.
1: Basically, these two characters are the central focus of the book, which is great because then we have Captain Kirk and everyone, and they're basically the B-plot in the story of these two ladies with a deep, deep emotional bond.
2: They do talk about each other, um, especially near the end of the book, as Tahila, which is how you pronounce it according to Gene Roddenberry, apparently. Hmm. And Tahila was a, it's a term that any Kirk Spock shippers out there will probably know well.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is old old hat <laughs> to them.
2: It's apocryphal, so it's not been in canon as far as I know, but it was coined by Gene Roddenberry in a, an infamous footnote in his novelization of Star Trek The Motion Picture, which stated that Spock thinks of Kirk as his Tahila, a Vulcan word that can mean friend, brother, or lover. Mm. Mm. yeah did you want to read that comment from mike
1: absolutely mike says would it be too simple to say this was a mirror of the kirk spock relationship or perhaps that just what the, a reader probably male would take from the novel the two women are strong and independent characters put into an almost impossible situation but react in a similar manner with compassion for all and the integrity to do something slash anything to ease another suffering It is easy to read into their relationship a strong emotional bond and certainly no stretch to envision a physical bond, but ultimately they are two Star Trek characters who reflect the best of what we want to think the Federation represents. Which is definitely fair to say, I think by the end of the book they are really, really (laughs) pushing the Kirk and Spock mirror imagery on us. And and even the, if I can point out the cover of the book, um, Mm -hmm. which is... Our two scantily clad female leads on the ground together with giant Kirk and Spock heads behind them. Really feels like that's what they're kind of driving home there.
2: Oh, for sure.
1: Also, if we can point out with this uh, Boris Vallejo cover, if you're listening, please look it up. Boris Vallejo, a very excellent painter, but I do have some questions about his depictions of our two female leads. Specifically, why is one of them Sean Young? (laughs) And which one is the Vulcan, and which one is the human?
2: Yeah, I'm very not clear on that part.
1: Yeah, both of them conveniently have their ears covered, and one kind of has sharp eyebrows,
2: but the other has super feathered-ass
1: hair. It raises a lot of questions for me.
2: Also, are Cleanti's eyes sufficiently Byzantine? What the f***
1: does Byzantine eyes mean? They say (laughs) it a million times in this book, and- I've never heard that term before, and after reading this book, I don't think I ever want to hear it again.
2: No, I I have to say that there's a lot I I really enjoyed about this book, but there needs to be a law against using the word Byzantine eyes. I think probably at all, but I would maybe concede like you could maybe use it once a book, but definitely not more than once a page. Also, Cleantia
1: is supposed to be Middle Eastern, and both of these ladies are pretty damn white looking.
2: Yes. Boris. what the hell? But I mean, my understanding is Byzantine just sort of means like Middle Eastern exotic in this context, which is a little bit like problematic, but uh, more just that you really, it would be nice to just have a bit more variety of the descriptors. Margaret, do you have a thesaurus? There was a little bit of that also calling shale uh, the introverted one yeah. many, many times.
1: Lots of descriptions of their eye colors when referring to them. Nothing that none of us who has ever written hasn't been guilty of before. But after a while, I kind of wanted to start keeping a tally.
2: Yeah, that was definitely where those were my like biggest things that jumped out for me on the side of, you know, could do better.
1: But yes, there is definitely a mirroring of the two main characters' relationship and Kirk and Spock's relationship, especially near the end when Kirk and Spock are talking to them respectively and like, oh, it's it's so hard to have a deep emotional connection with a Vulcan in your life, isn't it? Oh, boy, do I know that feeling. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and actually, you know, side note for um, people who are, you know, maybe trying this book or this author for the first time is that Margaret Wander Bonanno wrote a sequel to this.
1: You're kidding. About
2: these characters, but what? it was rejected what? Um, because of like, after this book was published a couple years later, like the licensing for the licensed novels really started cracking down on this kind of like... More creative interpretation of the Star Trek world, Star Trek (sighs) universe. Way to
1: rain on the parade, guys.
2: Yeah, it was eventually released as the novel Probe, which and it was like totally rewritten to be about Kirk and Spock, but with like much less sexy times.
1: Oh, do Kirk and Spock get trapped in a compound together and, you know, watch each other shower and junk? Because...
2: I have not read it, but it has been highly recommended to me, but I'm, I'm interested to see what uh, Bonanno has to say. We did ask her a question about that as well in our interview, because I understand that she wasn't really a fan of the final product.
1: Well, I I can imagine so. No one likes over-editing.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. Certainly, uh, Mike, our listener, was not the only one to think of a Kirk-Spock parallel. I saw it in several reviews on different websites. Yeah. But it's interesting, because one of the things that I noted and sort of I guess, appreciated about it was that it was very unabashed in discussion of Cleanti's sexual history.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
2: Yeah, and that she wasn't, like, really judged for basically Kirk-like possibly sleeping around. So, I mean, maybe that's a a bonus of gender-bending Kirk and Spock.
1: There is definitely that. The fact that she does talk openly about the fact that she has kind of a promiscuous sex life and has no real issue with that and she's not slut shamed for it or anything Mm. like that except with some issues with her mom talking about it but this is gonna sound weird but with that i was wondering if because we have the deltons in the picture for the story if they weren't supposed to be kind of the contrast for that because they're always talking about how there's they're so sexual. They're just always, you know, having fun, sexy times. And they were captured because they were going at it in a park. And (laughs) oh, my gosh, they have so much sex, you guys. And part of me was kind of like, well, hang on, are we putting sort of the conversational sexual promiscuity shaming onto them? And as a way of kind of just Switching it from whether we would be giving it to Cleante or not, uh, just having kind of a sexual scapegoat.
2: Oh, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way. Um, I was about it.
1: Yeah. Also, the fact that one of the Deltons is 11, that just kind of uh, grinds it to a halt like, wait, what?
2: Yeah. Um. <laughs> that- I mean, the other thing is, uh, spoilers, they all die. They all die! And I did feel like that was unfortunate especially considering
1: we have this whole media history of the slutty characters uh, as they're considered are, are the first ones to die the, na- the girl who has sex in the horror movie is always the first one murdered and there is still very much this idea of sexual promiscuity and characters needs to be punished mm-hmm. and and they die and it's kind of brutal and it's messed up and yeah, it was one of those things where when we got to that part, it was just a moment of really was this necessary? Yeah, it's
2: so awful, and it, it I think
1: comes it, it just comes all at once too, and it's like oh, oh, now all the characters are getting killed off left and right.
2: Yeah, and like I liked the idea that they would be able to maybe use a psychic bond with Tashelle to like sustain them, but it that didn't really go nope that far.
1: Yeah, there's just. A specific point in the book where people just start dying left and right, and it's really jarring. There is an earthquake on the planet that literally opens up the ground and swallows one of the antagonists, and he's just gone from the book forever.
2: Yeah, Kraz. So the secondary
1: antagonist is the main bad guy.
2: Yeah, and Kraz had a cooler name, too, so it was a bummer.
1: Kraz had a cooler name, and I kind of more wanted to see what was going on with him, honestly. Yeah. But no, he just gets literally swallowed up by the earth.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, the the thing with the Deltons and also sort of what you're saying goes back to the premise, I think, a little bit to this idea that, like, the Federation's peace is being held together by people's children or uh, family members. Make, you know, the fact that they know they're safe mm-hmm. is what is and that they're being like held as leverage is partly what's preserving the peace. And so when people start dying also, and they hear about it back in the in Starfleet pretty fast.
1: Yeah, they're all like, oh, this is so tragic. It's like, I feel like you guys are kind of having an underwhelming response to this.
2: Well, it just feels like there's never really any serious threat that, that there would be war in the Federation, which is supposedly what the Romulans who kidnapped them or who got the Klingons to kidnap them. That was supposedly the goal, was to, like, foster infighting. And yeah. we don't ever really ever see it. No. So it kind of undermines, I think, a little bit of the premise of both the Romulan plan and also the even existence of the Warranters. like, that you would go to this length when even after, like, four of them are dead, no one's...
1: The Romulan plan is pretty shaky already
2: yeah
1: there's there's some issues with this plot but my main issue is just the fact that they reach a point just very suddenly where people just start dying all over and to shale's betrothed just kind of dies because she goes into pawn Far but she's okay because she's unconscious the whole time
2: yeah there's a
1: lot of wait we're just gonna we're gonna just hop skip and jump over that oh okay
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah that was kind of Build-up is a big deal, but I guess it's not.
2: Definitely, there's some like very high stakes at certain points, but then everything gets resolved. Like it, You can't really see any outcome other than them surviving, because they're such central focuses of the book. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. It's challenging. But um, can we go back to Jasmine Al-Faisal while we're sort of talking about like the yeah, Federation? Let's do that, and... let's
1: do that with um, Cleante's mother, the uh, Earth Ambassador.
2: Yeah, Earth President, I think. Yeah, Prez. Of- Who's the,
1: the only character we ever really get any pushback for um, Cliente's sexual promiscuity on, because I I guess they were going after the same guy at one point. Oh, yeah. But that's uncomfortable.
2: But I feel like it's more judging her mom. Yeah. Because it also has comments, um, like, it makes her mom seem very superficial. Like, there's even a comment about her, like, her plastic surgeons mm-hmm. and her weight which, again, like, I feel like most of that I'm I'm going to sort of write off as a, the book is 33 years old. And I feel like, you know, today that it would be maybe like less kind of, of an obvious play to like, you know, uh, have someone be sort of an antagonist by because they're like a vain woman. Mm-hmm. But it, it almost makes it seem like and even at the end when she makes up with Cleante, it's like. She needs to overcome her vanity and focus on her duty to her child. Fun! But cool that they're Muslim, um, which also maybe was like, would not maybe be as easy of a sell today. Yeah. In a book that like, Earth's gonna be led by a Muslim president. So like, that's a sort of a positive diversity piece.
1: Yeah, that's something. We might think differently if we actually were Uh, either of us Muslim and had a a deeper look into what that kind of representation would mean, but who Mm -hmm. who knows?
2: Well, or even just like, you know, reading the book and figuring out, you know, how it's portrayed and because I mean, it does really feel like it's not there in any meaningful way other than them occasionally mentioning Allah. Yeah, yeah, that's about it. So, yeah. Yeah, Do you have any other thoughts on... T'Shale and Cleante? Uh, they're
1: interesting characters. I really actually dug the backstory that we got with Tishante. Uh Shante? Tashale, Shante? Tashale. My god, I mixed their names up. I, I'm i not even that invested in their relationship, and I port, portmanteaued the two together. <laughs> Crap. Uh, so with Tashale's backstory, the whole aspect that she's kind of closed off and reserved from other Vulcans because her parents were very famous and she wants to be kind of a person of her own but closed off emotionally from other people because she knows her dad died of this horrible debilitating illness that she watched him suffer through and she doesn't want to put someone else through that and has all these emotional issues with that i thought it was really cool how we got that full characterization with her and not just she is the vulcan registered trademark yeah and uh definitely made for an interesting foil for uh our cliente our human character uh so i appreciated both the characters um as individuals and again as the I, i felt like there could have been more done with the dynamic there in terms of the fact that we really it really did stay in that whole kind of well the vulcan is the is the wiser one and having to to temper the temper of the impatient human and all that until the end in which case uh we'll we'll get to the end but Mm -hmm. it that felt a little a little stock but i liked the characters as they were
2: yeah definitely i also um i guess maybe just to clarify if for anyone who hasn't read the book when we say it's hella femme slashy like there's no explicit like we got no kissing sex between them
1: It's all very platonic, slashy.
2: But like, you can totally, when you're reading it, you don't have to get that far in before you you start coming across things like, you know, she looked at her and saw the same hunger uh, in her eyes that she felt.
1: Oh, they had a deep and profound relationship.
2: The hunger for knowledge.
1: The hunger for knowledge in those glittering eyes. There's lots of wistful staring and shit.
2: Yeah, again, I don't really know what the intention was, but certainly the, like, use of the term Tahila is, you know, the fact that it can go towards lover and that there's all these scenes of, like, shale asking Cleante what love means and that kind of thing. like They
1: very much fall into that whole trope of, will you tell me of this human thing of love? Yeah. Just nonstop.
2: There is a part where it says that, like, the Deltans, well, the like, the Deltan woman stopped hitting on Cleante, probably because, like, it was very clear she was heterosexual.
1: No, they. I felt that was a, wow, this writer doth protest too much, like, I think it's three separate times that they went out to say, Cleante, who was totally heterosexual, by the way. And it was at mm-hmm. that point that it was like, I don't buy it. I don't buy it at all.
2: Yeah, so maybe it was like, either she was and things are changing, or that it was just, you know, an effort to keep people from being too scandalized.
1: <laughs> no, she's absolutely heterosexual, because we told you so. Mm-hmm. Wink.
2: <sighs> all right, well... We should probably address the uncomfortable uh, topic of the sexual violence and torture in this novel, because it was something I was not totally expecting.
1: I was not either, especially not for the first, like, act and a half of the book. I was not thinking that would actually happen. Uh, And then again, the death happens and then it's just like, oh, I'll... All bets are off now.
2: Yeah, and actually, we should definitely put a content note at the beginning of this episode. Yeah. As I just feel like if you're gonna recommend this book to someone, also just mention that because it's it's quite a lot to get caught off guard and it's, yeah, like, more than I would expect for a Star Trek novel, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, they're in prison for, like, a good six months on a deserted planet. They got, like, two captors. The Andorian dies pretty quickly en route to the planet. Like a punk. So there's the three Deltans and the two protagonists. I do wonder why they never once try to overpower the guards.
1: Yeah, that doesn't make a lot of sense.
2: I feel like a neck pinch to one of them and the, you know, other four could maybe take the other one. But I don't know. So I, I would have maybe appreciated at least them plotting a bit more, but they seem very, like, resigned to being prisoners the whole time.
1: They're like, oh, well, this is happening. And we've got the Andorian dies because he's like, come on, we can take them. And I'm like, yeah, you guys probably could take them.
2: Yeah, I mean, at that point, they're still on a ship with more people, but still, it seems...
1: Worth a shot, even. Yeah. Way to be proactive, guys. (laughs) Moving on to the less pleasant stuff. The Deltans are essentially tortured to death by being kept separate from each other
2: yeah so they've got this like sadist guard who's not the one who dies in the earthquake but the main guy named kalor and he's like i'm sick of babysitting these prisoners that we've been told to treat well ultimately i'm gonna kill them all but i'm going to like do it as part of this psychosocial experiment so that we can, like, get more information on our torture literature as Klingons. Because
1: apparently this Klingon was just Klingon Hannibal Lecter all along, and they just didn't really drop that in until they did.
2: Yeah, I mean, it didn't seem, like, him being the worst bad guy didn't seem totally surprising to me, but it's definitely very disturbing and... They also like the threat of rape is right away yeah. it's yeah. like at first, um they have this whole discussion about like, you know, basically which one are is going to be your like uh whatever you call it, like your server or something yeah. servant and they decide that like they don't want to rape the Vulcan because they won't get enough of a reaction and they like go to rape Cleante, but the deltons like use their pheromones to confuse them
1: and then that they don't really do anything with that
2: again well they sort of say later on that like they the effect seems to have worn off i don't
1: think that is that how pheromones work just they stop working after a while
2: well, it says like maybe the Klingons have got used to it, like the Klingons have got used to it. And so they're like less able to be addled by the Dalton sex pheromones. I don't know. We were missing Sue's Science Corner for that one. But
1: that felt like just such a Chekhov's gun showing up in the first act. And then we just, oops, forgot there was a gun.
2: It just it's odd that they don't like as a group take time to try to plot how they could best use their strengths to get themselves out of the situation and
1: they're all just such a passive bunch about it but because the deltons need each other to survive separating them it causes two of them to die and one of them commits suicide rather than be separated from
2: them mm-hmm. so
1: that's pl- that's pleasant yeah and again felt really unnecessary
2: yeah it also just kind of made the rest of it like a little It was just, it made there be fewer dynamics to explore because you only suddenly had two people and then this super sadistic captor.
1: And then we have the falling action after they've all died of them being like, oh, well, the Romulan commander is here now and she's demanding amenities for them and everything. So they're getting a better situation, but everyone died? We're not really addressing that enough, it feels like.
2: Yeah, no, it's it's pretty – I mean, okay, so I actually – I really liked the Romulan commander being in it. I, f- I found like the parts with Romulan commander were my favorite parts of the book. I liked
1: her too. I just felt like she came in a little late.
2: Well, and then she's also trying to make things better for them, but they still end up in actually the worst situation they've been in where – Kaylor is experimenting on Shell by, like, making her stay out in the freezing desert overnight because Vulcans can't tolerate the cold very well, and then also simultaneously sleeping with cliente we say sleeping with i was gonna say raping yes
1: (laughs) we say sleeping in the sense that cliente decides she's going to seduce him in order to try and get better treatment for shale uh, which is essentially coercive rape
2: yeah totally i was gonna say the the book is unfortunately not super clear that it is rape
1: yeah and they're they, they go out of their way to be like oh cliente couldn't understand why she was she was doing this and why she was getting into it with him it's like Uh, I'm not comfortable with how this book is addressing this topic.
2: Yeah, and she has parts where she's thinking about, you know, like, okay, I feel aroused, so, like, what does this say about me kind of thing. And I think, like, a lot of that is really unfortunate.
1: And that feels like where the plot does get slut-shamey.
2: A little bit, yeah. And certainly, you know, not clear. Because, I mean, ultimately, it's forgiving of her, but it shouldn't have anything to forgive. No. It's like she was... Trying to protect Tashel, she had very few choices. Ultimately, it did save her life. And, like, how she felt about it minute to minute doesn't change the fact that it it was – that she was being uh, coerced into that position. And even though she – like, took an initiative there, she didn't have a choice.
1: But if we can jump back to the Romulan commander, and this ties into Mm -hmm. all of this, Uh, the fact that she shows up, tries to, puts in changes, and then those changes are pretty much avoided by the Klingon captor. What we see happening a lot in this book is either an absence of these characters making decisions or them making decisions and it just having a little to no effect on the outcome. Like she decides she's going to she's going to sleep with this this Klingon guy who's keeping them captive, but then Starfleet shows up to save them anyway, eventually, and it's just very odd how the characters don't affect the plot very much.
2: Yeah, actually there's another example, like there are some points where you think something significant's happening and it doesn't, like yeah. when they like to shale, begs for more book tapes from the Romulans.
1: Yeah, that felt like it was setting up for something, and it just wasn't.
2: Yeah, and like they're like, oh, well, we'll get you these book tapes, but you know, what really do you want them for? And she's like, oh, I just want to practice my Romulan. And it would have been like awesome if she had, you know, had if it had been part of a secret plan that she knew that there was something in this book that would help them. And then they could have been self rescuing princesses.
1: Yeah, I thought like up until the The final hour is like okay. When is your plot? There's no plot here. They're just they're just letting this happen. Okay, mm-hmm. which was a touch on the disappointing side. On the other hand, when we say that uh, these two main female characters have a very intimate and deep bond and all that, it's and again that it's not a sexual thing or any explicit relationship between the two of them. I did appreciate the fact that this book. Was really investing. If you're even if you're not looking at it with the slash goggles, it's very much saying these two's platonic relationship and their friendship is very deep and important and powerful, as much so as if it were a romantic relationship, Mm -hmm. which feels important because we as a society don't really value that as much as we should. Mm -hmm. Uh, especially in terms of popular fiction and storytelling. The idea is usually that romantic attachment conquers all when just honestly the power of friendship and the power of love for another person, even not in a romantic sense, is, is very important and is important to all of us as people and that that should be given a little more credit where credit is due. Yeah, for sure. Especially in the lack of representation we see for asexual persons and the fact that not every deep, important relationship is based around sex. Mm-hmm. So I appreciated it on that level.
2: Yeah, that's totally fair.
1: That said, when it gets... if uh, Can I jump to the end for a bit here? Yeah, absolutely. When it gets to the end and they're rescued by the Federation and Kleonte says, Okay, so I was having sex unprotected with a Klingon. I might be pregnant here. If I am pregnant, will you help me co-parent this child? Mm-hmm. <laughs> feels like a very writing on the wall like will you will you be my forever girl situation
2: yeah. well and even still like they are clearly i mean at the end to shale is almost like she's d- slowly committing suicide she's like yeah. deciding not to heal herself
1: what's going on with that i just i didn't really get
2: that and and they like she does say like basically stay alive for me and she makes that decision even after she knows she's not pregnant yeah so And then like the very end, you know, let's travel Earth and do a bunch of fun stuff together like it.
1: If she had been pregnant, I probably would have thrown something.
2: Yeah, no kidding. I was also very glad that was not happening.
1: Don't do this to me, book. Don't don't play me dirty Mm -hmm. like this.
2: But yeah, I mean, uh, you're right that like, all of that speaks to a really deep bond. Um, It doesn't necessarily speak to a sexual bond, which is like, totally fine. Yeah.
1: I mean, I, I'd i like the idea of there being more canonical same-sex and relationships in Star Trek, but it doesn't have to have to be that way. It can just be a platonic, intensely emotional relationship. hmm That said, I will fight tooth and nail for more same-sex relationships, but, but it is what it is. The book came out in the 80s. Yeah, totally. Hence, one of our cover girls being Sean Young. Uh,
2: so... Another thing um, which I found came up a lot in reviews on various blogs was, or even like Goodreads, some people were like, where are the Enterprise crew? (laughs) I didn't sign up to read this book about these ladies. They really are the B-plot. They're the B-plot to these uh,
1: two original characters. That said, what we do see, we get to see sulu having badass adventures which is as i understand in the preview for the book at the very beginning that's kind of the selling point that they're going with like oh yeah sulu's gonna go in this deep cover mission to save these hostages and what we do get to see of that is pretty freaking cool i just wish we'd seen maybe a little more of it Mm -hmm. most of the time i was reading this i was like man somebody picked up this book hoping for enterprise crew adventures and was very disappointed
2: yeah the size of kirk and spock's heads on the cover was not proportional to the space in the book which i was totally fine with (laughs) zoe in our goodreads group said i liked the references we got to the crew and the small snippets of them we did get to see my personal favorite was page 109 where uhura talks about waiting during missions i feel like this was calling out the show for not giving her a bigger role and showing us that this character would have been an asset on away missions
1: we do we get some really great interactions with the characters and i felt like Margaret Wander Bonanno really had the characterizations down pat and was having some real fun with them. Like um, when we get them just hanging out and Kirk being like, I'm bored. And everyone else being like, okay, if you're not bored, then we're all just rushing around freaking out about something. Slow your roll, Jim. And then we get we get to have Scotty pretending he's super hammered to pry
2: and bitch. Forbid- that was really fun. I loved
1: that. And I loved what we got to see of uh, Sulu's undercover Romulan mission and just how much he loves that he's out there doing the spy thing.
2: Yeah, it was a little bit funny. I think they're all like referring to Sulu as like this...
1: D'Artagnan is his code name.
2: Yeah, but like they were talking about him being like this young buck who's just going off and doing these things, sort of like Reed and Enterprise when he's off doing things, like which seemed a little bit like I didn't really... See, Sulu is that much younger than him, but them. But I guess he was. I love the Uhura stuff.
1: I love that she's just friends with all of their deep space yeah. uh, communications people, and it's just like, "How's the baby?"
2: And there's like a couple nice, just subtle things too about like uh, Spock's thoughts about Kirk and Uhura, and like he talks about. There's like one part where it's in Spock's mind about you know his uh, how indispensable both like Kirk, Kirk and Uhura are to him.
1: Yeah, indispensable and personally important
2: you know, pre-Spock and Uhura being a thing in the JJ-verse, but, like, (laughs) you know, not in a romantic way again, but just, like, that they're very important to each other.
1: In an I value your friendship kind of way. Yeah,
2: yeah, I really liked it, and it didn't bug me that it wasn't the focus of the book. In fact, I think the beginning Enterprise stuff, where they're just, like, bickering with admirals, didn't really add a ton. But later on, when it's like the scenes of their like them talking and with each other and thinking about what's happening and their relationships with the other communications people and stuff, that that was um, really quite lovely.
1: Uh, For what little of the Enterprise crew there is, it's pretty good. Mm -hmm. And that said, I I would read more by this author. I would be up for seeing more of what she's written with these characters.
2: Mm -hmm. I mentioned that there was this sort of change post publication of this book in the Star Trek licensed materials, which I gather there was another editor that came in and kind of just cracked down on...
1: Isn't there always?
2: Yeah, on a lot of the things. And this this also led to sort of the death of the Rihansu series that uh, we talked about in a previous episode with Diane Duane. And a lot of the stuff that had really, really like boosted fandom and been very intertwined with fandom from you know, from the very beginning of the original series. This
1: book is uh, dedicated to Diane Duane also, isn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: To John M. Ford and Diane Duane for their contributions to our knowledge of the empires. The author is most grateful.
2: Yeah, so there was a lot of contribution to the way that fans were interpreting these things, because there was no canon stuff happening at the time to fill in these gaps.
1: It really was a fill in the blanks situation. And a lot of people were getting creative with those blanks, which respect.
2: Yeah, so I don't know how do we feel about the fact that this changed?
1: I will say the same thing I say about the retconning of a lot of further canon and deep lore. Uh the same thing happened when we got the new Star Wars movies. A bunch of stuff was just kind of thrown out the window and that is that there were a lot of people putting a lot into uh, this expansion of the canon when it was something finite, and while it's not gone forever, just because it isn't canon anymore, and just because a lot of it is changed and backpedaled on, doesn't mean it doesn't exist anymore. It is a little bit of shame to have all of those people's contributions kind of I won't say diminished, but discredited a little bit like that. There is a loss there, it feels like, in terms of what was put out into the world in these people in an attempt to, again, fill in these blanks and add on to what was at one point finite.
2: Mm -hmm. I mean, I think someone else also in our group might have raised that comparison to the uh, Star Trek Expanded Universe. I mean, Star Trek's Mm -hmm. a bit different in that, as far as I understand, other than those like original Star Trek novelizations of the episodes mm-hmm. that they were always considered apocryphal. But basically, I I do f- think that when you look at the stuff that came later, it wasn't like that you necessarily did away with books that were hard to read. <laughs> like, yeah. the the writing quality didn't always get more consistent. It was more about the subject matter. And I do think we lost some more of the, like, creative stuff and particularly stuff that was expanding um, more towards women characters and queer characters, even if they're sort of very heterosexual queer characters. Very (laughs)
1: heterosexual. But if I can because I can't stop referencing him, pull a Stephen King quote, just because the adaptation is changed, just because the movie was different than the book doesn't mean the book isn't there anymore.
2: No, absolutely. And I mean, and obviously the the fan creations didn't stop. They just moved online. But, it, you know, I guess it it's Thank too God. bad that the ability for some fans to receive some like professional recognition and yeah. money from that work didn't continue in the same way.
1: It's a pain in the in the caboose, which is, I think, part of why we're doing this whole book club, I honestly think.
2: Yeah. And actually, I mean, you know, so now where we're at in terms of the Star Trek novel verse was pointed out that the like Simon and Schuster contract, yeah. I believe,
1: owners of pocketbooks, which does the distribution and printing of most of the mass market Star Trek books and the majority of their tie-ins.
2: Yeah. And so they had like no women on their list of novels in like the next round of Star Trek novels. Shocking. So I feel like as, you know, we'll link to this in the show notes in case I have it not stating exactly what the um, definition of the problem is correctly. Mm -hmm. But I think that regardless of how you're going to deal with, like, the content of the books. And, you know, in in the more recent Star Trek books, we do have some queer characters, we have some non-binary aliens, mostly.
1: We're gaining ground, just microscopic spec by spec.
2: Yeah, but you still also need to be vigilant about the diversity of your authors that you're hiring.
1: It's not infinite diversity and infinite combinations if it's as described by the same five guys.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know,
1: damn, now I want five guys.
2: (laughs) Crud. Yeah. So, you know, maybe just I'm down with more books. I don't diversity, maybe. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Do we have any um any final thoughts on this book?
1: There were things I really liked about this book. There were things that made me very uncomfortable with it. Again, early on just being like, Oh yeah, the sexually active group with an eleven year old kind of brought yeah. the thing like, to a grinding stop and just led to a kind of uh, okay, we're just gonna gonna walk around that I guess. Yee. Which I thought I was going to be able to, but then other things happened in the book. It's like, well, we're just kind of sidestepping a lot of things here, aren't we? Hmm. Deltons are sexually ele- active preteens, and that's just what you do, I guess. Yeah. Okay.
2: I mean, I guess I was already sort of prepped by Kess, so I was... <laughs> that one didn't actually jump out at me to the degree it could have. But it was definitely, for me... I wished I had had a content warning on the sexual violence and torture. Absolutely, yeah. It feels also difficult because I mentioned that it was like six months. That also feels like very, very long for a Star Trek episode.
1: It does. And it also feels like the characters, the, call me crazy here, but it didn't feel like the characters were very phased by just how long they've been in captivity mm-hmm. and uh, I don't really know how to articulate it. It was just—it felt like there were some odd reactions there.
2: I mean, maybe you could say that. On the other hand, it's not realistic that they would actually be solving these problems so fast, given how big space is. I guess um, there,
1: there's a lot of directions we can question it in.
2: Yeah, and maybe that's like an advantage of a novel format—is that you can look at like what this, what would actually happen here. Yeah, but it's just. Yeah, I just wasn't expecting it to be quite that intense. And for me, up until the point where Cliente is, uh, you know, being coerced in order to protect shale, I feel like up until that point, it wasn't, like, mishandled. It's just that I wasn't expecting it. Yeah. But I feel like the, um, you know, it, it needed to be clearer that that was assault. Even if it was just... After they get rescued, someone's stating that.
1: I do appreciate, though, that when we get the point of her having to go over everything that happened to her, she gets up. She's upset by it. And we get from McCoy just a no, no, you do not interrupt her. You let her be upset. She needs Mm -hmm. to get this off her chest and process Mm -hmm. this in her own way. Mm -hmm. And I appreciated that in terms of characterization and in terms of someone processing something really awful that happened to them.
2: Yeah, definitely. My favorite parts about it, I loved, I liked the Uhura stuff. I liked the Romulan commander kind of bonding with T'Shiel in a way. I mean, the Ponfar thing was odd, but everything about Ponfar is odd.
1: Yeah, I like that we get the, the the Romulan commander has a love interest. and They're having a bit of a torrid love affair.
2: Oh, yes. Yeah, actually, I loved that. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, cool dynamic get it girl she's holding a candle for spock but like guys totally loyal to her that's awesome he digs
1: it he's like you're my lady i'm all about you yeah and also uh sulu getting to do deep undercover work was pretty fun
2: yeah definitely yeah so yeah overall
1: there's some good stuff in this book but also some stuff we wish we had known about getting into it
2: I can definitely see why it was suggested to us. Oh,
1: totally. Yeah.
2: All right. Cool. Well,
1: if you would like to recommend our next book club book, do it.
2: Yes. Head on over to our Goodreads group. We have a thread called What Should We Read Next? Mm-hmm. We have a few suggestions in there, but always taking new ones or if you want to vote up someone's suggestion, you can do that. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you and we'd love to hear what you thought of this book. You can flip us an email at crew at women at warp.com or you can comment On our social media, we're at Women at Warp on Twitter and Instagram and on Facebook. And you can visit our website at at womenatwarp.com.
1: And just to establish before we finish this episode, the crucible in question is friendship. Really? Really? I
2: I totally missed that.
1: (laughs) The crucible was inside of all of us all along.
2: Oh, was that also the moral of the crucible?
1: Uh, I think it was kind of the opposite with that one. Okay. But, you know, I'm not Arthur Miller. What do I know?
2: Yeah, no, that is, you're definitely right. But I was just confused because I just thought the title was so dramatic and I didn't even pause to think (laughs) about what it actually meant. The
1: Crucible is friendship. The Crucible is friendship. Whoa. Jara, where can people find you online?
2: You can find me at Jara Penguin. That's J-A-R-R-A-H Penguin on. Twitter.
1: And I'm Grace, and you can find me on Twitter at crusher Jank and Dwelling in the Crucible of my Friendship with my co hosts.
2: Oh. Yeah. And for more from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, visit podcasts.roddenberry.com. Friendship. It's magic.
0: Hey, everyone. I'm Andy, and I unfortunately had to miss this episode because of a technical issue. So I am here by popular demand for Andy's Monologue Corner in which I will talk very briefly about some of my thoughts on this book. So, first off, I liked this book. I thought it was good, it was interesting, I enjoyed it, I thought the writing was pretty good, and overall, some interesting themes. That being said, it was also dark as hell, and kind of hard to read at some points, and I really kind of wish that I had known that some of the themes were going to go as dark as they did, because. There were moments that were genuinely upsetting. The Delton slowly dying was horrible. I just, it was horrible. Not in the sense that, like, badly written, and more in the sense of, like, I suffered (laughs) reading about it. So yeah, maybe I could have done with a little less of the torture, and especially the rape stuff kind of felt not necessary in some places, and I kind of understood where she was going with it, like she was trying to show that they were in this crucible or whatever, but not the most fun thing to read about. And Grace pointed this out during the episode, and I really wanted to reiterate this. The characters were so passive. They did not drive the action. They didn't make any of their own decisions. I feel like that was part of the theme. Like, what do you do when all of your choice is taken away from you, and what choices are left to you? So I get that thematically, but also it gets kind of frustrating, because you want them to, to do something, to fix things, or at least try to fix things. But, pros, hella gay, like so hella gay, and specifically fem slashy, which I don't think there's enough of, and... I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed these characters, and I really enjoyed their relationship, and I really enjoyed the analogy for Kirk and Spock, which was very obvious. I just I feel like overall this book probably doesn't hold up as much as it could have in our time period now, and I kind of think of it as a time capsule almost to how quickly and how thoroughly attitudes have changed towards these sorts of themes and how we talk about sexual assault and how we deal with it. And so for that, I think it's pretty valuable. And I really dig the kind of late 70s, early 80s sci-fi nostalgia of it, pretty much, where the cover, especially Grace mentioned how awesome that cover is, like this is the kind of stuff that you would find in a used bookstore, or at least I would when you were a kid, and read and just be like, completely immersed by I don't know that it is appropriate for now but it is definitely a sign of the times in which it was written and for that I think it's really interesting so thank you to the people who recommended this book to us I personally enjoyed it also just as an aside I want everyone to remember that the moral of the crucible is rocks are heavy thanks so much for listening